Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, our other lore columnist over at Blizzard Watch, that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello, everybody. And then secondly, we've got, he's our shaman columnist, but he's also a lore aficionado as well, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hello. Well, hello. <laughs> you do that every week. <laughs> I do. I do. I do. I do. Okay. So uh, on this episode of Lore Watch, we've got a couple of email questions. Um, but more importantly, there was a release of a 15-page preview for Chronicle Volume 2. And it doesn't cover everything that's in the book. It doesn't cover... And it's not in any particular order. Like, there's little excerpts from various sections. But at the same time, the stuff that's in here is really intriguing, so we kind of want to talk about it. Chronicle Volume 2, obviously, comes out on March 14th, and we're really looking forward to it. But before we get to that, we have two emails, and they're kind of sideways Chronicle-related, and we kind of want to talk about those. So uh, first up is an email from Archdruid Galid. Galid? G-A-L-I-D-D. Anyway, uh, level 110 Resto Druid from Lightbringer, who says, Hi, Lore Watchers. Do we know anything about the origins of the Warcraft universe? You have talked about the awakening of the Titans and the ensuing ordering of the universe, but how did the Titans come to be in the first place? Do we have any knowledge of this? Do you have any speculations? As citizens of Azeroth, we tend to think of the Titans as gods to us and in our microscopic existence in the universe. They seem all-powerful and omniscient, Omniscient? How, how the heck do you say that word? Omniscient. Omniscient. Thank you. <laughs> I can't talk today. Even though, as players, we know this is not entirely true. Do you think there's a higher power that created the Titans, something that really is all-powerful? If the universe was only void, all the matter must have gotten into the universe in one way or another. Thoughts would be appreciated. P.S. I love how each of you brings your unique perspective to all the topics. It's always great listening. Thanks, Archdruid Galid. Thank you. Um, well, okay, guys, higher power in the universe. Let's talk about that. So it's kind of a complicated thing because this has been retconned uh, a couple times, right? So way back in the days of the RTSs, there were a lot of references to an all, all seen, all being God. Uh, basically, that was like the highest deity of light. They kind of had the, the whole religion angle they back did. then. Yeah, they did. And that's because like, you know, that that was the easiest way to translate like you know, priests and, and such like that in the universe. Cause it was back then it was generic fantasy world number seven until it became something special. Uh, right. Can we just, can we just be honest back then it was Warhammer. It was, well, that's a Pretty whole much. other story. <laughs> yeah, it was I, Warhammer. I have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about on that one, but that's a whole other show. Um, but yeah, it was, it was essentially like this already, what you would say is basically now um, there are also creation myths inside of the game uh, world between the various races of how the universe was ordered and came to be and whether or not those are, are legit. Obviously your creation myths vary and your mileage will vary as, as as well. Um, but the most commonly accepted one, at least that I know of is that the universe that exists, that Azeroth exists in and Titans in general were the result of the big bang or a big bang, essentially a collision of matter that sparked the, uh, the universe as we know it. And the Titans were a natural occurrence as a result of that. Um, I don't remember seeing anything contrary to that, um, but it's not unheard of, right? Cause even in, even in like Diablo esque lore, um, the gods just kind of 
happened. They weren't created per se. They well, just, there was Anu. If you're right. talking about Diablo, there's Anu, who was a singular being who was both good and evil, purity and corruption. It was everything. And right. Anu, Anu basically created the universe by... It, it's actually very uh, Kabbalistic, if you know the Kabbalah. It's very much based on that idea of Anu cast out a portion of itself, divided itself, and in dividing itself, it became less because it was suddenly defined. The previous Anu was everything. And therefore, nothing else could exist because it was everything. Only by dividing itself into good and evil did it make existence possible. But that's, you know, that's the Diablo lore. I don't, the Titans are a different story. Right. And that's what I was saying. It's like, it's, but even then, like, Anu existed without the outside influence of something else, right? Like, it was, it was there. Yeah, it existed through contraction. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's, and to, for, for lack of a better term, that's the way I view the Titans, at least the way I think about it, is that, when the universe was sort of banged into existence there, um, some of the worlds just happened to have the correct mixture of arcane energy and natural other elements to become living gods. I think in terms of wow, I mean, the, th- the thing is, if you read the original Chronicle, they basically don't say, why do Titans exist? They basically say some worlds have world souls. They don't say, you know, this is why that happens. They just say that it does happen. And uh, at some point they talk about how Azeroth's world soul is drawing all the spirit energy that would otherwise manifest as spirit elementals into itself. And that's why the elements of Azeroth are so much, they're so contentious with each other. But there is no point where anybody says, you know, X being is causing Titans to exist or Titans exist because of Y. That's not in there. The closest that I saw, and I mean, I did some research into this for uh, the No Yular column that I wrote this week. Um, as far as the universe coming into existence and what caused that, the origins of the Warcraft universe, there was light. Like, originally, there was light. That's all there was. There was just light all over the place. And in various corners and pockets of the universe or wherever this light existed, it began to ebb and expend its energies and the void was formed. So the void was a natural occurrence that occurred because the light was waning along the edges. And because the void was kind of the equal opposite of what the light was, they clashed. And when the two of them clashed together, that created all that primordial matter that spawned the universe. That was your Big Bang. That was pretty much what your Big Bang was. And the Titans were born of that. They were born of, made up of that primordial matter. So... Weirdly, you know, if you look at this, it's it's kind of weird because if you look at it from a different angle, that would mean that the Titans are a product, are a natural product of both light and void. Potentially, it depends on what the what part of the coalescence of energies resulted in them, um, and what happened as a result of it. Because I mean, there are planets in our current universe that don't have like certain elements that others do. It depends on where everything settled. So. I mean, I suppose that could also potentially cause variance between Titans, which could lead to why um, certain ones are a little more prone to, I don't want to say uh, darker thoughts, but I guess that'd be the best way to put it. Um, more more prone to despair is maybe they had a little more darkness in them than the other ones did. A little, a little more... Uh, I mean, the Titans have always yeah. been described as being these bastions of purity and goodness and that they can't really conceive of evil or wickedness or that goodness. kind of thing. But... Mm, that's- Goodness is an interesting way to put that. Yeah. Because I'm reading one of the things I'm reading. I'm just just to make sure I was up on it. I was reading the preview again, and it seems like Agrimar in particular doesn't care at all about good or evil. It's like he doesn't even conceive of evil, and he doesn't think about good. 
it's order he craves. It's, he wants yeah, things to maybe, be orderly. He wants maybe, things. Maybe that's where the good comes in because we automatically assume, you know, making everything orderly. He doesn't. He's not. He's not a creature of destruction. None of them no. are. They make things. They make things and they, they try and make things better when things are falling apart. So, I mean, they've got that aspect to them. At the same time, though, Sargeras, you know, he didn't really hesitate too much about killing that world soul once he saw that it was corrupted. You know, I mean, he saw that the void had infested it. And this was not it was it was inconceivable that that kind of evil could exist in the universe. And yet at the same time. It didn't really drive him bonkers per se. It was it was more like, oh, this is something terrible that needs to be dealt with. And it's been the same with like, you know, any of the demons or the or the terrible entities that he encountered while they were traveling the universe looking for other world souls. If you look at the, the Legion though, since you brought up Sargeras, that's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Has Sargeras ever actually stopped, even as he's bubbling with fell corruption, even as he's like infected with it? He continues to act in an orderly manner. Oh yeah. Because assembling a legion is an orderly it's an imposition of order onto the chaos of demons. Demons don't naturally form massive armies. They tend to stick to themselves. Nathrazim infiltrate places. Demons just go around slaughtering things, but they don't form armies unless you have someone like Sargeras who's cracking the whip and making them do it. And the Dran the, the Eridar don't count because the Eridar we're, in, we're basically an imposition on the Legion by Sargeras to establish order. So it's weird. He hasn't really stopped being orderly yet. It's almost like it's part of his nature. Like he well, can't I mean, not do it. It makes sense. I mean, the Titans are born of order. The, the way he's trying to order the universe right now is by cleaning it. And by cleaning it, I mean scrubbing it thoroughly. And by scrubbing it thoroughly, I mean destroy Making everything. Making a to it, yeah. <laughs> just, just bleach. Bleach everything. <laughs> we'll start the, over. The pantry's dirty, so we're going to soak it in gasoline and burn it down and build a new pantry. <laughs> because I'm just this thing's got cockroaches, man. I can't deal. <laughs> I can't even handle this, no. But yeah, it, it, it's one of those things... Where we don't really have, going back to Galid's original question as far as how did the Titans come to be, that's not really something that we have an answer to. Chronicle didn't really define that. And we've said it before, Chronicle did a really good job of filling things out while still leaving space for other things to be revealed at a later date, if necessary. It didn't, it didn't, you know... Pin them down to one particular path. There's I'm going to nominate plenty of someone, speculation to be had. Huh? I'm going to nominate someone as a possible contender for the person who's responsible for the Titans existing. What? Uh, Elune. I don't think so. I'm going to put it out there. I'm not saying it's necessarily the case, but I'm going to put it out there because it very much feels like Elune is deeply involved in stuff that's going on on this planet that involves the Titans. I, and I just the fear of Elune that we found. The one that's involved in Emerald Nightmare, the one that we're using uh, to, you know, one of the pillars of creation, it's not named after any Titan. It's named the Tear of a Loon, and that's weird to me. I just, I don't, I don't think that there's quite that connection. I'm not sure there is a connection there, but I think that connection is more related to Azeroth than it is to, it's a connection between, it's basically a Loon is connected to Azeroth, the Titans are connected to Azeroth. Yeah, and that Rather makes sense to me because Elune like is connected to the Titans directly, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, because Luna is very much an Azerothian thing. Right? Is she? We don't know. Because she made the uh, the Naru. Theoretically, she made the Naru. It, you know, if she made the Naru, which is like the imposition we've got right now, it's the the implication. Then she's not just an Azerothian thing because the Naru are all over the place. 
I so, don't. This is one of those things that I also talked about in the in the No Yulor that I wrote because um, I was talking about uh, Zalatath, the the shadow priest weapon, the one mm-hmm. that whispers at you when you you wander around. One of the things that that weapon says, it calls the Naru its brethren. And says that they have lost the true path or something like that. And that they will come back around eventually. And the implication there seemed to be that maybe the Naru were at one point old gods. And in, like flip flip the script around, right? Look at it from a different direction. The, the, the old gods aren't Naru that have been corrupted. The Naru are old gods that have been purified. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so... And I'm thinking that Elune had something to do with that because there are several different ways to create something. Sure. Like, yeah. And, and it makes sense, especially since they are a race that straddles the void and the light. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about the Naru is they have that whole life cycle thing going on where, you know, there's void, there's light, there's void. They, they just have a cycle and they can't help that cycle. And they're kind of apologetic about it. But they're like, well, there's nothing we could do. This is just the way we live. And that's what they leave it at dior says um during burning crusade you know when you go uh what the soul sees you have to go find the mirror and you have to go to akadun and talk to dior mm-hmm. one of the things that dior says is that without void there can there cannot be light and it's actually the other way around because when you look at the origins of the universe there was light and since there was light void happened yeah but that's a very again going back to the cabalistic idea that's a very cabalistic origin because if you only have light yeah you don't have anything right if everything is light you can't define light if it's just all light all the time that's just what it is i don't know until you you have void you don't have light i don't know it's 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 a it's not i'm not saying it's what they're doing but it does seem like they're borrowing a lot from the Kabbalah and their lore lately like, the biggest the biggest thing that I took away from all of this, though, when I was doing all of this research was that you can't get rid of one or the other. Like, you can't. Because that those are the pillars of the universe. There's light, there's void. If you have light, you're going to have void. If, you're go- if you have void, you're going to have... There has to have been light for it to come from. They're kind of like... Center- they have to exist simultaneously. And in that... It, it kind of raises the question, are we, can we even tackle the void? Is that something we should be doing? It, it, we're talking about like one of the two pillars of universal creation. And this is one of those things. I, I, I have a feeling that this week's Know Your Lore, I, I'm going to be talking a lot more about this. So, Well, I mean, I guess the answer there would be yes. And the reason why is because we're creatures of both light and void, too. Well, and that's one of those things, like I said, I'm going to be talking about that this week in Know Your Lore. So, I mean, if you're listening to this um, on Patreon, look for that on Friday. If you're listening to this on the site, look for that last Friday because <laughs> I already wrote about it. Anyway, um, um, regardless, let's go ahead. Galid, I know that doesn't really answer your question, but we talked about it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, our second question here, it's actually, there's three questions from uh, Winterfell, Warg and Frost, Death Knight, and they ha- they kind of tie into Chronicle, so I figured we'd go ahead and answer these two before we jump into the preview. Uh, Winterfell says, Hello, Watchers. In Warcraft Chronicles, we learned that the spirits of the Pantheon escaped the deaths of their physical bodies and entered selected Titanic Keepers on Azeroth. Was the Avatar of Sargeras something similar in nature, a Titanic Watcher or Keeper imbued with his essence? Obviously, it wouldn't be 
the exact same thing since the keepers uh, since the keepers on Azeroth, with the exception of Ra, didn't even realize what had happened and, and retain their identities. But the avatar of Sargeras seemed to have his identity and none of its own. Even so, was the basic principle the same? Let's talk about that, and then we'll go into the other two questions. Maybe. Um, I mean, that the the kind of the big difference is the Titanic creator creations, the the Watchers were autonomous for the most part. They had their own personalities. They, even though they were, for lack of a better term, programmed for certain tasks, like they were given certain tasks, they still had thoughts, motions in some regard. I mean, look at look at Loken, look at all the rest of them. Like they were duped and they feel bad about it. And then, you know, or Loken goes crazy. It's There's a whole slew of things. These are living beings. The Avatar was not. The Avatar was a, a shell, a shell that... Sargeras placed a portion of his soul into or whatever the Titans have as a soul so that he could physically act on Azeroth. Um, Another way to look at it is real simple terms is that the, uh, the, the watchers are autonomous creations. They're like, you know, pre-programmed whereas the avatar is a drone. The avatar is made to be yep. operated remotely. Uh, the avatar exists so that Sargeras can do what he wants to do on, on Azeroth without, actually having to try and generate the power necessary to get himself there. And for that matter, his, his without putting all of himself there. But the thing that I, the thing that I think is kind of interesting here too, is there's something that we know about the Titans, right? We know that they're, they're not exactly omniscient. Otherwise they wouldn't have those celestial beings operating as fail safes to call them back. They would just know when something was wrong. Otherwise there wouldn't be like any recall. There wouldn't be any, anything that needs to, Algalon would be other. redundant. Algalon would be unnecessary. Yeah, absolutely. So we can assume that they can't split their personality or their attention so much. So my theory is that the Avatar Sargeras, when he was being piloted at the real Sargeras or the full embodiment of Sargeras, whatever was left that wasn't placed in the Avatar, is slumbering somewhere, is asleep or was not conscious at that time because it, he could not theoretically operate in two places at once. And I think that this has to do with the fact of Sargeras is missing because after the avatar was defeated, I, I just think that Sargeras never woke back up because his essence is still on Azeroth and he's still doing things on Azeroth. Even so now. Is it kind of like in a way Azeroth is, is basically Sargeras's Emerald dream I, at this point, I would close enough where he's like trapped on it. Maybe, but that's the thing we don't know. Because, like, okay, so what happened with the? Let's talk about the Avatar a little bit more. So the battle with Aegwin cleaved whatever was left of himself into her and yes. nested there. Um, then Medivh is born, transfers into Medivh, takes control of Medivh. Medivh dies. Where does his essence go? We know it's somewhere. See, I had originally, you know, suggested that it leapt to Cadgar because he did that. He did that spell with Cadgar where he weakened him. He aged him and and he weakened him of his power. And I, you know, back in Warlords, I had this really big vendetta against Cadgar. We know about this. Bring already. me his skull. I just reasons. for reasons. Yeah, no, he. I don't know. Just a lot. A lot of the way that Cadgar was presented and the way that he came in and the things that he knew, it didn't really line up in my head. It didn't make sense because Cadgar, Cadgar went to Draenor after the second war was over. 
after they won the second war. Cadgar went to went to Draenor and he was stranded there with the rest of the Alliance expedition. And that's where he sat. He missed the entirety of the third war. He missed everything that happened in every expansion since then. And yet when he came back, when we when we discovered him again in Burning Crusade, we didn't really see where he went after that or what he was up to. He was just hanging out in Shatrath with Adal. Now, now Adal is a possible answer to that question, too. Maybe, but if the Naruro... even then, Adal, Adal showed up because Cadgar called them. Sure, but there's nothing that says that Adal didn't know what was going on. And Cadgar goes, hey, so I can't get back to Azeroth. Do you happen to know what's going on with that? You seem to be attuned with the light, and I know the light's on Azeroth. <laughs> He's watching the Adal variety yeah. hour every night. <laughs> you He's never know. It. You never know. There could be a hidden Naru power. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, just just one thing. I, I, I wanted to not interrupt you guys, but you're veering away from what I wanted to talk about. So I'm gonna. Um, basically, I, I keep bringing this one up. The Wrathgate and the, the events, that the way the Wrathgate unfolds when, uh, oh, bloody heck, not Tychondrius, the, the demon that, that Sylvanas had. The one that was Varimothras? in... Yeah, Varimothras. When Varimothras is basically getting attacked by Horde people, when you did the original Wrathgate, he's opening portals. <clears throat> and a voice is coming through those portals. He calls that voice Master. It is most assuredly not Kil Jaden. It is somebody else. And it's somebody else that Varimothras calls Master. There are relatively few beings that can compel a Dreadlord to call them Master. And the thing is, is... The, the way that that played out, too, I mean, it was never said directly in-game, but if you looked at the voice files, I think the voice files called it Sargeras? Yeah, they called it Voice of Sargeras, yeah. But that the was never files. actually confirmed in-game, so, I mean, nope. it could be just, oh, somebody decided to slap that name on there. Why not? I'm just saying that there is there's some evidence that Sargeras went to the Twisting Nether. I mean, that used to be the assumption. The default assumption was that Sargeras was was stuck in the Twisting Nether See, after Medivh got killed. And that's certainly know. a possibility. I don't know either, but I don't the idea that he's stuck on Azeroth doesn't make sense to me because he was in Medivh. Where but I don't think he's stuck. I think it's a choice. But there's and no I place th for him to be. He's not Do like we, he can just really? jump back. We can we can argue about whether or not he can just jump back to the Avatar. But, but here's an interesting thing that, to think about. Who was linked to Medivh when he died. Gul'dan. Who physically went to the tomb of Sargeras and got <gasps> eaten by demons. Oh, maybe he got, oh, maybe he hopped, hopped maybe. the link. What if that is how Sargeras got back to the Avatar, if he's still there? What if he literally went from Medivh he just to Gul'dan, and then that's why Gul'dan had to go to the tomb? As soon as they got close enough, Gul'dan was like, oh, hey, I know where all that power was at. I'm going to go get it. Right. Yeah. But I think it, my, my, it my problem with that, though, is power or was it something whispering in his ear going, hey, you should go get that thing. And then when Gul'dan gets to the tomb, he gets torn apart. He gets ripped apart by demons. And now the whatever part of Sargeras was in him is free to go back to the to the Avatar because the Avatar is right there or just hang out. Yeah, or just be there. I don't know, whatever. Now, I do have to say, for the record, now have you guys, have you guys run through? Okay, are you familiar with Nighthold? Because at the end of Nighthold on Mythic, apparently there's a very different situation that plays out. Yeah, I, I know roughly what happens there. I okay. have not actually seen Nighthold Mythic myself. But. Yeah, neither have I, but I've heard like bits and pieces of what happened there. And so, so we're gonna like caveat this with a spoiler alert for people. Um, however, if you've aren't raiding mythic you're not going to see this so um 
what happens essentially from my understanding is that Sargeras tries to possess Illidan. Yeah, I knew about that. Yeah. I don't think he was successful. Pretty sure he wasn't successful, according to the cinematic anyway. Um, but it was something that occurred. So it's active. Like, this essence of Sargeras is active. And, you know, to go back to Winterfell's question, though, I don't I don't think it's the same thing. Because the thing with the, with, with the Keepers and, and the Pantheon, what happened there was the Pantheon, they lost their bodies. Like, they died. They, they completely died. They were obliterated. Sargeras wrecked them. And that last spark, that last essence of what they were, went flying to Azeroth, you know, to kind of, I guess it was kind of like a survival mechanism, almost. It, it went, it was sent to Azeroth just to, to be there. Whereas with Sargeras, he deliberately put his essence in a thing in order to interact with the people of Azeroth, with whatever was going on on Azeroth, as part of whatever grand scheme he was doing. I mean, I keep going back to the Harry Potter Horcrux. It's like, that's what it seems like to me. It's like a, a piece of the soul. <laughs> he made a Horcrux like there, out yeah. of himself. <laughs> Two, I mean, there's also worth mentioning that Norganon did that mm-hmm. as a... He wasn't just a panic survival thing. No. He had no idea what he was doing. He was literally like, ah, oh, just did it. Sargeras crafted that body knowing he would inhabit it. So he kind of wonders if Sargeras picked that up because he sensed what the Pantheon had done after he visited Azeroth for the first time. That's possible. I don't I don't know. He didn't actually visit Azeroth though. He he got he didn't actually get through the portal. Well he didn't get through the portal, but he was there in proximity, looking giving the world a really good look and he liked what he saw. And I'm wondering if maybe he sensed those I, I don't think he would have though, because nobody really sensed it. Like even even the One, keepers, except yeah. for Ra. Yeah, Ra and imperfectly Loken. That was it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and go to the next question here though. Uh, Winterfell says, secondly, now that the spirits of the Pantheon are on Azeroth the planet, unless Rathion consumed the spirit of Amonthul, do you think that Azeroth the Titan might eventually integrate their essences into herself and thus become the Pantheon reborn? Something similar to how Diablo is, in a sense, Tothamet reborn. Okay, if, if we end up with Voltron as Azeroth, <laughs> just, you know, and Amonthul's like, and I'll form the head. I don't know. I mean, it, and it all looks like cats. Yeah. Well, of course. Why not? <laughs> or, or it could be the lesser Voltron that's like a bunch of RVs and stuff, but nobody talks about that one. <laughs> you mean, you mean Earth Voltron? Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. No one talks. About that. I have that toy. <laughs> um, but, um, but I don't know. I mean, this. I would. I wouldn't mind it necessarily, but honestly, at this point, I don't think we'll ever see either Azeroth or the Titans as beings. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. I just. I feel like Azeroth is never going to be more than a, a force, a presence that talks to other beings at the most. And as for the other Titans, I don't think Rathion consumed Amonthul because I don't think it's possible to consume him, but I think that he's probably, he's connected to him. He ate Leishen's heart. That's yeah. what he did. And Leishen's heart held the essence of Amonthul, or at least something, some flash of his memories. Because when, when Rathion ate it, he had that crazy vision and then started talking in spooky voices. Well, there's that whole thing. Like when I remember reading, when I was reading Chronicle, they have the whole story of how Li Shen became the Thunder King. It's yes. like he went, he went and found Rodan, and he was like, you know, what are you doing? We're all, we've been like falling apart without you. We're, we're like fighting each other. The, there's no direction. We, we cry out for someone to tell us what to do. And he's like, there's no point. Come with me. 
and takes him to the essence of Amantul and says, look at this. This is the Titans. This is what happened to them. There is no point to fighting. And instead of Li Shen being broken by that, like like Raden was, he broke Raden. He just he he attacked the guy. And it's like it, it it's was one of those. Well, if you're not going to do your job, then yeah, I guess I, I'll do it for you. Yeah, and it's really fascinating because Raden had all the tools he needed to win that fight, except motivation. And Li Shen had none except motivation. Li Shen. It's strange because in a way you can almost admire him because he went into a fight against a superior foe and won it just based on the fact that he wanted it more, that he actually wanted to try and, again, impose order on chaos. And that's the thing with the Mogu. They do horrible, evil things, but they but do the name them. of order. Yeah, they do them to be orderly. They want to establish order. And these un, these mortal beings are being incredibly chaotic. Being, beings of flesh are chaotic by nature. And it's it, it's really fascinating to see the, the Titans creations go that way. But I don't know if I want to see the Titans themselves back because I don't know if they'd be be our friends. I don't think they would be because, I mean, we again, we are touched by the void in a, in a particular way that I don't think they're going to really like. Um, I mean, if Algalon's original assessment of us was anything to go by, I'm pretty sure they would look at us and go, huh, well, you're all corrupted. Well, salt the earth. We'll just push the big red yeah. button. And start over again. It, that's also possible. I think, though, that if if Azeroth ever is born, right, if Azeroth ever becomes a full Titan in in just more than just having sentience through other agents, maybe and and maybe the power of the other Titans have been sort of absorbed into Azeroth even a little bit. Now, the only reason I say that, too, is because what other beings on Azeroth were uh, powered by the Titans? The dragons? The dragon aspects. What did they do at the end of Cataclysm? When we faced Deathwing, at the Maelstrom, they used all of their power, shot it through the dragon soul, through Deathwing, and into the Maelstrom. What does the Maelstrom lead to? The Maelstrom... Well, here's the thing, too. The Maelstrom is basically... That's the last remnant of the original Well of Eternity. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it's churning and swirling like that is because it was just kind of like... The wards that were put in place. Okay, the Well of Eternity originally was a wound. It was an open wound. It was bleeding into the world from the world soul. So the Titans put together wards to kind of staunch that wound. Mm -hmm. And when the Sundering happened, we blew that wound sky high. Like anything that was staunching it or whatever, it's, uh -uh, gone. it's gone. That's why the Maelstrom is there. That's why the Maelstrom is so violent. And what we did, what the... God, what the aspects did, they took the last, every last ounce of power of, of you know, Titan gifts that they were given and poured it right into that open wound. Now, and the other reason I bring this up is because the Shaman Order Hall, my, you know, home away from home, is called the Heart of Azeroth. It's called that for a reason. It's right there at the sort of nexus point of all the elements where spirit is the strongest, where this ancient places that overlooks this the basically directly into Azeroth itself. It's entirely possible that all the actions that we've taken over the years, the the Titans throwing their essence down into their watchers, uh, everything we've done to sort of help along channel that energy back into her is how she's able to act through those agents now. Cause she hasn't before she didn't before and not until the end of cataclysm and not till now did Magni come back and he came back as an agent of Azeroth who had been talking theoretically to an agent up. of Azeroth. I'm we still kind of disturbed by the fact that when you go to see Magni, the first thing you run into 
are creatures that are obviously remnants of Yogg-Saron. Sure. But that's because you can't kill them. You can't kill the void. Yeah, but it's kind of interesting, though, because it's like, okay, well, so... Yeah, that, that also taps into what Ilganoth says. Yeah. So. And I'm just saying maybe, but I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that never happened until then. So if he is working as an agent of Azeroth, then that would make sense that it happened after all of that occurred. Maybe all of the stuff, instead of it being sort of Titan Voltron, all of the stuff to serve to accelerate the awakening of Azeroth. We don't know how long a world soul sleeps. We don't know how long it is until that world soul wakes up. Well, and, plus, we this is the thing. Even if we did know all those things, Azeroth is not a normal world soul. No, mm-hmm. not it's, even a little. For one thing, it's more powerful. Like, you know, Amethyl said it would be more powerful than the entire Pantheon. Uh, for another thing, it's taken a lot longer to develop than a lot of them did. Um, Amethyl woke up on his own. Amethyl woke up with literally zero help. He just woke up. One day, Amethyl was a planet, and then he said, hey, I have thoughts. I think I'll be a person instead. Hmm. I wonder (laughs) if other planets can think. Oh, hey, I found one. Would you like to be my wife? And Eonar was like, okay, I guess. I've never thought about that before. Um, But sure. Can can we have other people hang out with us? He's like, yeah, let's go find them. And they went and found other, like, sleeping planets and woke them up. Um, That's – this is never – They've been spending a lot of time on the Azeroth project. This is basically like, this is the equivalent of you found a baby. The baby is absolutely riddled with problems, but you're not going to let that baby go. And they have done everything to try and keep it going. They went way beyond here. This this is into the realm of, of Titanic super surgery. They've done all sorts of stuff to try to keep this thing focused. It's got a huge gaping wound in it. Um, Okay, let's build wards around that. How do we do that? We'll build giant engines on both continents and kind of just on both ends of the continent. And they'll just kind of feed the blood back into the body. That sounds completely insane. All right. It'll be sure. fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like, seriously, if you look at all the stuff they did, they were literally winging it. They were just constantly winging it. I'm was like, oops. They um, were winging it because the only other alternative was the one that Sargeras had already presented to them, killing it. And they yeah. weren't willing to do that. They yeah, were not they, willing to do that. They freaked out real hard when they heard he'd, he'd done it. Like, they were like, you did what? You killed it? And he was like, well, what was I supposed to do? So, yeah, it's the, the whole Azeroth project is, is crazy complicated. It's, it's one of those things where I don't know. You know, it's hard to say what they would have done. It's interesting that you mentioned the Maelstrom, though, because when we were there in Cataclysm, the Maelstrom wasn't itself. No. It was a hole that was you being used by Deathwing to travel to Deep Home and back. It was literally because all the elemental planes were out of alignment. Like, that's the whole point of that big place in the Titan Death pillar. Wing, and, yeah. yeah, Deathwing kind of punched a hole between well, just, Azeroth destroyed, and the planes. He destroyed the pillar that held Deep Home in place. Yeah. And when he did that, he threw all the elemental planes out of alignment. That's why Skywall was just hanging out in Oldham. That's why the Firelands was basically erupting into Hyjal. You, you know, that, that, that's they why the. They supposed to be doing yeah. that. The, the one in, I can't, the Maw, I want to say the Maw, but I can't remember if the it's Abyssal called. The Abyssal Maw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Abyssal Maw was coming through in, and um, that, I want to say Valshara. Vashir, thank you. The, those planes were coming through because of what he'd done. And we, I guess we fixed that as best we could. And so now it's not happening. But as a result of that, um, the, the Maelstrom got kind of scotch brighted over. It's, it's, a, it's still not really ideal so i don't know you know, who knows how how well the elemental planes are even reinforced at this point the well, whole thing happened afterwards yeah well i mean we could always 
shaman could actually ask two of the elemental lords if they really felt like it. Why yeah. are we doing that? We should really be doing that. Yeah, it's it's. That's all. Where have you been? Ah, it's no big deal. No, don't worry, don't worry about, about it. I, don't worry. I, got married, I got married to a squid. It was fine. Everything was great. <laughs> Cake. I'm surprised you guys didn't come. You were right there. I mean, you were right. Yeah, you were right there. Why didn't you come along? Anyway, um, so yeah, moving on to the third question here. Third question says, finally, we know of the existence of a fell titan, that would be Sargeras, and a nascent void titan, the world soul that Sargeras destroyed. Is there any mention or suggestion anywhere in lore about an undead titan? Thanks, Winterfell. No, no. because the titan hasn't really, like, died, died, question mark? The ones that have died, there were no bodies left right. behind to reanimate. And I don't think that they would do that, even if that were the case. That's kind of like, I mean, that that's kind of falls outside the natural realm of order. The Titans are all about order and creating order. And Sargeras, in his own weird way, is also kind of about creating order. But his idea of order is destruction. Um, but that's destruction. He doesn't want to rebirth anything. Well, maybe he does because he thinks the universe is just going to kind of like re re come back again once it's a blank slate. It'll you know everything will just kind of reset. It's it's kind of weird because he's doing the re origination thing only on, on a universal, universal scale. scale. Yeah, yeah. But which the thing is... about the undead titan is in really what is undeath? What makes undeath happen? Necromancy is based in void energies. Yeah. So essentially, the void titan was an undead titan. Kind of. Yeah. So it you've was already... on its way. You know, there's really no difference. Because what the old gods were doing was they were essentially strangling the light out of the planet to the point that they could just fill it in, you know. Um, And if we want to go back to the whole whispers and things like that, the whole her heart is a hole and we've filled it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, It's kind of like that. Of Azeroth, Maelstrom, hole. Hmm. Hmm. Ew. What a terrible thought. Anyway, thanks for the questions, Winterfell. Um that's going to wrap us up for emails, the email portion of things. But um, both of those kind of tied into Chronicle. And since we were going to be talking about this preview anyway, I figured it was worth answering those couple. Uh, so, yeah, there was this 15-page preview that was released for Warcraft Chronicle Volume 2 that's coming out March 14th. And I figured we'd just kind of gloss over the little sections here. They aren't in any particular order. Um, and they're kind of snippets from all over the book. But I think what's interesting to me is... This book is not all about Draenor. There is part of it that is obviously dedicated to Draenor and the beginnings of Draenor, but then it jumps into the First and Second War. So, yeah, the Draenor stuff seems to be there to explain where the Horde came from and how they came to be. Yeah, and um, the first section in this particular preview is talking about Draenor and the Evergrowth. And the first thing that we learn, which is pretty cool, is that it wasn't always called Draenor, which we knew because the Draenei called it Draenor. It was, you know... Exile's Refuge or whatever. Um, before that, though, the o- ogres originally called it Dogar, which me- meant the known earth in their tongue. And then the Arakoa, later on, they named it Rakshar, called which the, sun, the, substance. The, sun, yeah. the Sunstone. And then in modern times, obviously, now, after the Draenei have been there and everything, it's just called Draenor. Everybody calls it Draenor. Rossi, I know you had this thing where you thought Draenor was like Sargeras's world soul. Yeah, I'm fine with the idea of what they ended up with. So, but yeah, they said pretty flat out that Draenor didn't contain. Well, I mean, it's the first. Soul. It's the first sentence. Draenor did not contain a slumbering world soul. Rossi. And it was remarkable in other ways. <laughs> <laughs> Stop telling people like, that. Man, well, the, 
the minute I read that line, I had this picture in my head of you reading it and just falling to your knees and going, no! Yeah, it was such a good theory, too. It really I, was. I like what they ended up with, though, that it's basically all that stuff that involves the Titans on Draenor, where it comes from. Um, I mean, I felt like Anne was about to say it, so I don't want to actually say it, but I liked what they did with it in terms of why it's there. And yeah, how it there's... Happened. There's a difference between Draenor and Azeroth. Azeroth, obviously, has a world soul, and that world soul has thrived because it's been feeding off of the fifth element, the spirit of life, what you want to call it. On Draenor, that didn't happen. There was nothing to consume the spirit of life, so it was just kind of abundant everywhere. And it was so abundant and so plentiful that the elements on Draenor were really chill as a result. Like they got along with each other. They didn't really take physical forms or anything. It kind of tempered whatever violent nature they may have had. Whereas on Azeroth, there was so little of that, that spirit, the fifth element, that the elements were constantly, you know, at war with each other, conflict going on, that kind of thing. That didn't happen on Draenor. But what did happen on Draenor was that the fact that there was this fifth element, there was so much of this whole spirit thing, was that it accelerated the growth of both flora and fauna. More importantly, the flora over the fauna, because plant life on Draenor was something else entirely. Oh, um, it was the apex predator. Yeah. Uh, do you guys want to go ahead and talk about the spore mounds? Well, I thought it was interesting that basically because plant life was rooted into the ground, it just became growing into massive, massive collectives. The things that are basically like if you've when we when you played in Warlords of Draenor, you kind of saw the plant life in Gorgrond, yeah. Yeah, the spore mounds were like mountains of plants. They were like just these gigantic things, um, and they were gonna eat everything. Um, what gets me is when Agrimar comes to Draenor, and he's he's basically doing his whole hunting for demons. You know, Sargeras left him the job, and he's doing it, even though he wishes Sargeras was still there helping him. And he finds Draenor, and he's like, whoa, this is nuts. I mean, he sat there, and he listened for a world soul, and he found nothing. And he was like, okay, no world soul here. But, man, these plants are crazy. Because what happened was, there was so much life there that these plants, these tangles of plants, started to gain sentience. Well, they were literally eating spirit from the rock, the ground, the, the water, from all the animals and, and yeah, sentient life that they were eating. They're rooted into the ground. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, they're plants. That's which, what they do. Which I find very amusing because the way that they describe spore mounds uh, with its, you know, seeking tentacles and consuming all around it sounds pretty old gaudy to me. It's like right. the plant version of old gods. Kind of is. Which At is kind of gross when you think about it, but... What happened here, though, was that the spore mounds, they, they, they kind of evolved and tapped into this whole fifth element and gained this sort of sentient connection with each other. I have mind, yeah. Yeah, and they began acting as this single massive organism, and that's what became known as the Evergrowth. That's the Evergrowth. It's this giant living sentient plant that just wants to devour everything and grow. And, and that's what it's there for. So Agrimar sees this and says, whoa, that's really crazy. And then realizes that, you know, even though there isn't a world soul there, if that evergrowth is left on its own, it's just going to consume the world. And once it consumes the world, it's going to consume itself. 
and Draenor is just going to be a flat, dusty, barren rock. And he didn't really want to see that happen. Well, there's that order, com- compulsive order disorder kicks in. And yeah, he wanted... He's got to reorder the planet. Or... Yeah, he wanted to do something about it. What I thought was cool here, though, is that it acknowledges the fact that he even knew that he couldn't take direct action. Uh, so Agrimar looked at it and said, if I do anything, I'm going to risk causing more harm than good. Okay, I got it. So he stops... Raises his hand, does a little, you know, dance. Look, nothing behind uh, this ear, nothing up my sleeve. Uh, summons all of the elements of fire, air, earth, water into a massive elemental storm. He then takes that and channels that roaring tempest into the largest mountain he can find. Not it shattered through the mountain, sent shockwaves of force throughout the entire planet, and then the mountain stood up. Raw elemental power from all of the elements infused into a living mountain known as Gron, the first of the breakers. Now, he Agrimar sent Grond out to divide and conquer the Evergrowth as his agent, um, which is interesting to me because he's not, he is and isn't a titanic creation, right? He wasn't infused with the essence of Agrimar. He was wheel, formed 100% purely from the elements of Draenor and sent off. Now, what was also cool about this is not only did Gron go forth and start, you know, Raising mountains, smashing spore mounds, um, and leaving like lakes of fire in his wake, uh, carving valleys, dredging out seas. He wasn't just a force of destruction, he was a force of creation. It created in its wake as well in order to subvert the spore mound, of course. But I thought that was kind of a cool little thing. I don't, right? I don't really see that there's much difference between Grand and any Titan forged. I mean, Titan forged are made out of the elements of the planets they're from. They're you know the titans create them they metal use the and stone to do it. yeah you know and they use it's the the method of doing it is more detailed here but we they're never actually actually an well, I'm saying explanation he's not like a scale wise i think grand but, was a heck of a lot larger yeah he's a much bigger than the the titanic watchers were but the the difference really is that he just made the one and then he left whereas when they were doing the azeroth project they needed an army because while grand was fighting the evergrowth uh the the Titan Forged were fighting the old gods themselves. Well, see, and that's the so, thing, though, right? And, that, and that's the thing that, uh, and it, the evolution of Draenor, we've we've noticed that um, there's a line here at the end of this little section, and it's a, a line that, you know, as Grand is doing his thing, the spore mounds, the Evergrowth, says, "Oh darn, we're starting to actually suffer. We can't really do anything about it. We need to evolve." And then it says they needed to adapt, and. I'm certain this is where the primals came from, but it's one of those things where I don't necessarily believe that they were the only thing that adapted and that Grand subsequently, I, I would imagine. Grand seems to be the ancestor of the Grand. Yeah. Right. Well, and the thing with the thing with Grand, you've got that entire zone called Gore Grand. Where supposedly the greatest. Well, yeah, the there's a legend. There's, there's a legend with Gorgrand. Um, there's an orcish legend that says that the largest beast to ever walk the world was this colossus named Gorgrand. And when it died and it fell, its body became Gorgrand. So when we're walking across the plains of Gorgrand, we're walking across the body of this colossus. Um which is kind of interesting. So one has to wonder, did they say Gorgrand because they were talking about Grand? Or did they say Gorgrand because they were talking about a descendant of the original? You know? Right, one that was created by Grand in his image to carry or, out the further know, tasks, maybe. For that matter, since the uh, Breakers and the Primals are fighting here, it's not. It's possible that the Primals, you know, carved him up. 
I mean, erosion is a natural force. What yeah. Else? The the interesting part about this, though, is that, you know, you've got Grand, who is this giant, right? And we've seen the progression line of giants, right? There's the Magnaron, and then the Grand, and then the Orgron, and then the Ogre Lords, and then the Ogres. And then somewhere down the line are the Orcs. And we kind of think that the Orcs and the Ogres might be related. We don't know. It is no actual, we don't, we don't know one way or another. But if they are, that implies that orcs have a complete, there, there is a lineage that goes back to being Titanics, a titan, cre- yeah. titan creation. Which it also implies that, you know, that the curse of flesh is just something that happens. Yeah. Weird, huh? I'm going to well, be talking about the that. curse of flesh this week and know your lore. <laughs> I've, always, I've always thought that because that's yeah. what happens when you go to the, um, back in the day when we first played WoW, when you go to Oldemon. Yeah. Oldemon was the only one that was open. You didn't go to Oldemon. Oldemon was crazy too. Yeah. And the, the thing when you get to the end of Oldemon, the discs, when you access them, the, the, the things it tells you are not what you get told up north. And it says straight up that the, uh, the, the, the titans made their biological creations on azeroth different on purpose they made them with like you know out of stone and earth and metal and they made them to change into biological matrix creatures this is something that they say and it's always stuck with me that it's a complete contradiction of what came after or is it because Logan was the one who wrote the stuff that came after yeah Logan's the one that wrote all that stuff and it's what if the curse of flesh isn't necessarily the the old gods created it just that they turned it on? Like, because think about it, the fact that Deathwing had a way to turn it off. You yeah, could, he and, did. And the and yeah. the Mogu figured out how to do it. The Mogu re- reverse engineered it. How did they reverse engineer it? Did they study old god stuff, or did they reverse engineer it just by studying themselves? Like, oh, look at this. There's an off switch. Oh, there's an off switch. Oh, great. Flip that thing. I don't want to turn into meat. Okay, yeah, click. Okay, we're not meeting now. Oh, woo. Oh, that well, a that's close. a relief. Yeah, now we can go back to being orderly. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's the, the whole, the Agrimar, Gorgron, Grand thing is really messed up, and I, I definitely want to read more about this when it comes out. The the next section that's in here, um, it talks about the Siege of Goria, and this is, of course, you know, the Ogres, the Gorian Empire, uh, the fall of the original Gorian Empire. What we see when we play through War, Warlords of Draenor is basically the last remnants of that great empire. That empire was once huge, gigantic. It dominated the world. And the orcs fought back. Um, what's interesting here, though, is Rossi, another one of your theories came into play here. And this one was actually correct. Um, the one involving the Red Pox. And the origins of the red pox. Yeah, I thought I thought that was going to be what it was. Right. I was surprised. So what happened here was that uh, the Imperator at the time, Imperator Mo- Moloch, he had the ogres kind of ensconce themselves in Goria, which was just the basically the 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 gigantic capital, the capital city, Citadel, yeah. citadel that housed thousands of ogres. And they basically shut their gates and said, okay, cool. You guys want to fight back? That's cool. We don't need you. We'll just wait it out. We've got ships. We can still do trade. We'll be fine in here. Except they weren't. And things started going south. And once things started going south, the Imperator realized that they needed a way to break this siege. So what they did was they went to their Apexis crystals, 
which I'm so glad that there's some kind of explanation in here for those things that we spent so much time collecting in Warlords of Trandor. <laughs> um, but he goes to the Apexis crystals looking for some kind of way to break the siege. And what they found, they found this ancient Arakoan legend about the curse of Seath. And they started experimenting with it and trying to find a way to introduce a similar kind of affliction to the orcs. And what they came up with was the red pox. Um, so it was kind of a, a warped version of that original curse that they unleashed on the orcs. And it did its work. It did its work in a big way. And it started killing orcs left and right. And there wasn't really anything that they could do about it. So the orcs, who had all come together to fight the Gorian Empire, they had united. Like the different clans had united in order to accomplish this purpose. They went to the elements and they said, okay, you know how you guys are usually pretty chill and we're pretty chill right along with you. And that's why we have shamans and everything. We don't really ask a lot of you or anything like that. We really need your help right now. We need to get rid of Goria. We need to, we need to make them pay and we need to shut this down now because if we don't, they're going to continue killing us and they're going to continue interfering with you. And there's an implication here that Imperator Moloch and the rest of the Gorian Empire, they were doing something to the elements. Yeah, it says uh, both the orcs and the elemental spirits understood that Imperator Moloch would resume meddling with the throne of the elements if the clans failed. What what exactly he was meddling with, we don't know because this is just an excerpt, but I'm hoping that it goes more into it in Chronicle Volume 2 because I'm interested in knowing what were they up to. So the element said, yeah, sure, we'll go ahead and help you out. We're mad now. You don't want to make the elements of Draenor mad. Because they have all kinds of all kinds of spirit to use and wield. And they wielded it on Goria and just decimated the entire city. Um, there's a really good quote in here that says, uh, When there was nothing left but ash and rubble, the earth itself wrenched open like a giant maw, and Imperator Moloch and the remains of his great city were swallowed whole. This has me wondering if this is something that did not happen on the alternate Draenor. I don't know. It would make sense that it didn't happen on alternate Draenor because, I mean, I mean, it's there's there. still ruins. Yeah, it's there. It's there. The city is there when you go to like an alternate Draenor. And it's it's fascinating to think that, you know, the differences were more than just a few blades of grass. Yeah. That's what uh, I can't remember his bloody name, the bronze dragon dude. Uh, the one who started Kairos. Off. Kairos, thank you. And Kairos said, you know, the, the blades of grass, but it's, it's starting to feel a lot bigger than blades of grass, man. Well, I mean, blades of grass to a dragon are a lot different than blades of grass to a mortal. I'll throw it yeah. that way. And but this is, yeah, this is this whole thing with the orcs and Goria is really fascinating. Here's the interesting part: at the end of all of this, the orcs were absolutely victorious. You know, they won, but they weren't exactly happy about it because they saw what the elements were capable of and said, yeah, you know what? We don't want to mess with that again. We're just going to go our separate ways. So this united front that they had presented against the or, or against the ogres, they split back up. They split back up into their separate clans and they went their own ways. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll see you guys around, you know, once a year at Nagrand or wherever, you know, we want to gather up. And then every few generations, the red pox would break out again. So it was something that never really went away. Uh, it was always with them. So what's really fascinating too is because you, you could view this group as the first horde. This is where all the they horde were. traditions. Kinda. This is where the horde traditions come from. 
This is where the idea that you'd have a war leader and you'd have an organized group of orcs comes from. And they backed away from it hard. They were like, eh. And so, again, if this never happened on alternate Draenor, they might never have had a horde, if not for our garage. There might not have ever been a horde on that planet. Even when, when uh, Gul'dan came up along with his drink the goop stuff, he might not have been able to do more than sway a couple of clans. And that also means that the Red Pox might have never happened on that point on their world either, because the ogres wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have generated it. Wouldn't have generated it. Although one thing that I found interesting from the section is, and I don't know what particular thing sparked it for me, but I started thinking that there's a direct correlation between the curse, the Red Pox, and another race that also happened to be on old drain, like our Draenor, um, and it's the Broken. And the reason I say that is because this is something that's always bothered me, right? Oh yeah. The broken. Yeah. I know exactly what you're going to talk about. The air, the Eridar take to fell magic, like nobody's business. They know how to manipulate it. They're super accomplished. They can handle that. Like no, like any better than any demon almost. So why was this section of Draenei when exposed to fell energy mutated? I don't think they were because even in the description of their, their sort of oh, yeah, origin. Anne, it was yeah, the Anne red and, mist. Ian and I have been, yeah, Ian has been saying this, I think since we got warlords, I when we've watched Quite the, a while, when we watched yeah. the video with, um, you know, Marad's video and was the one that said, yeah, I remember the red mist. It's not, yeah, she, she, she linked this up real fast. I remember this. Yeah. I, I, I think we're all pretty much in agreement that it's suspicious. I'm wondering though, cause I think that there's probably a connection there. I wouldn't be surprised if there is a connection there, what I'm wondering is, we know that during that time period, there was a red pox outbreak because Garrosh got it and he was sent to Garadar. Um, Gaia founded Garadar during that time period as kind of a, 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 a camp for all of these sick people yeah, to go like a, to. And like kind a of pox be, leper colony type thing? Yeah, kind of like a leper colony type thing where she could treat these people. So there was an outbreak of the red pox at the same time that they were using that that all of this other stuff was going on. And what I'm wondering is, was the red pox, did they see this outbreak of the red pox and go, Hey, how can we turn that and use it against our enemies and use it against the Drenai? Or were they developing this thing? And that's why there was another outbreak. Popping, and that's why it kept popping up so often is because not necessarily it was naturally occurring. They were causing the outbreaks when they were messing with it. It wouldn't surprise me because all of the stuff that Gul'dan was up to, all of the stuff that the Shadow Council was up to, none of them had any kind of like respect for life. I mean, they were aging children overnight. Well, yeah, we've even seen that like in Warlords. You see that the the, the Shadow Council and Gul'dan have multiple like evil programs, for lack yeah. of a better word. You go and dis- and disturb this this dr- this Nauru corpse in in Garadar. You go and steal souls from Akendun, and you. I want you to go to Hellfire Peninsula. Like it's seriously like they had like how, what other evil things we got going? Is there anything else going on? Oh yeah, we totally get more evil programs. We'll put you on a wait list for the next evil thing that we're going to be up to. You'll just have to hang out and wait and see. Join so yeah, what I was kind of wondering was was did they cuz it lines up. It lines up. Oh, Obviously and... the red pox was already in action, so either they saw that, got the idea and said, "Let's it, make this red mist." But or... it makes sense, right? Because warlocks dealing curses, the curse yeah. of Seath, and then the red pox. The red pox is a curse. 
It would make it's absolute sense. It's not necessarily sense. an illness. Yeah, it's more like it's more like a, a curse that they're afflicted with every now and again. Yeah, just like the Arakoa are still afflicted with the curse of Seath. They're still the wretched, devolved forms of themselves. It would make absolute sense that a warlock's like, you know what? Oh. I'm used to dealing with curses. Guys? This is a curse. Guys? Um, what? In, in Hellfire Citadel, the raid, um, yeah? Goldon cures Arakoa. Ooh. Yes, because what would make more sense than a warlock being able to not just do a curse, but because he understands a curse, undo it. Makes well, perfect he, sense. He cures them by fell addicting them. <gasps> he makes them fell Arakoa, and now they're cured of the curse of sea, then they can fly again. Ew. What if when he's using fell on orcs, the reason that fell orcs get spines and tusks and all that is that he's regressing them. If they have the curse of flesh... Mm-hmm. And he's well, not necessarily the curse of flesh, but the red pox, yeah. No, not just that. If they have I get where some you, kind I get where of generative, yeah, yeah. what if he's turning them back into breakers, big fell breakers? Ooh, that's a good thought. Like, there's a lot of reversing them because they get bigger. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They get bigger and they grow big spikes out of everything. I mean, then their skin gets weird and bumpy, and it's just it's starting to get like you know, Gul'dan's the course of everything badness yeah he is there's a lot of badness going on Goldon's kind of at the heart of it one nasty nasty terrible orc anyway um we don't have a lot of time left so i kind of gonna gloss over the rest of this uh from this stuff on draenor we jump right into the opening of the dark portal and what i found interesting there is that they're okay they were very clear when the warcraft film came out that the stuff that it was in the Warcraft film was kind of in its own separate canon. It wasn't in actual, like, Warcraft canon. At the same time, there are elements of it, apparently, that they decided to go ahead and incorporate. And I remember talking about this when the Warcraft movie came out, and I said I wish that there were pieces of, of the film that they would kind of incorporate into the actual game canon, because I think it sounded cool. Um, one of those things, they're talking about the actual opening of the Dark Portal, and they're talking about how Gul'dan, he basically drained the essence from every Draenei prisoner that they had to open that portal. That's exactly what happens in the film. You see it happen in the film. The other thing, more importantly to me anyway, was that um, Tarya, Tarya is canon. Oh, is she? Yeah, Lane's, nice. Lane's wife is canon. She is All mentioned right, cool. as Varian's mother. Um she, Does that mean that Varian? That means Varian is a and and Anduin. Anduin is a Lothar. Maybe well, we it, we they think. don't say that they Tarya. They don't say specifically that Tarya is Lothar's sister. What they do mention, they mention her by name. They say that when they were getting ready to flee Stormwind, Tarya was with them, um, and Tarya was one of the casualties when they were on their way out. Um. So she didn't make it out of Stormwind. She fell in that in that siege that ended the first war. But they haven't said yes or no to whether or not she's related, right? Yeah, they haven't said. They didn't say. Well, at least not in this it excerpt. Might, yeah, in yeah. This it might excerpt, be in an they didn't earlier say, passage or something. Yeah. Yeah, right. it might be in a different set, and I kind of hope that it is because yeah, that would that would mean that Andwin would be he would be a direct he would be part of that whole line. Um, realize it means that if if that is the case that means that varian actually had a claim on at least the high king of all human kingdoms i know right mm -hmm. and it would mean anduin would yeah which would make it a interesting thing for unifying the peoples type thing and it would take, taking your war elsewhere it'd be one heck of a revelation 
especially if you're like, you know what, we're going to be going to an uh, a, a extraterrestrial planet here where we've never been before, and I need all of you to follow me. Why? Well, you see, here's my family tree. You're going <laughs> to do what I say now. Like, I could totally see that being a thing. So, I, I know this isn't actually lore, but the picture of them leaving Stormwind. Oh, it's so good. So gorgeous. What gets me is there's there's good old Lothar um, yeah. looking looking pretty broken. And you probably would if that was his sister who just died, as along mm-hmm. with his you know best friend and his city. But um, the picture has the sword. Yes. Yes. There's no way I wasn't going to mention the sword. Yes. Because that, that is Ashkandi. Absolutely. Look at it. The great royal sword is Ashkandi. Look at that thing. So... <laughs> That's the sword that gets broken. That's the sword that gets broken when he fights Doomhammer. It's it's a beautiful picture too. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. There there are some just amazing images uh, in this edition. I mean, the other one had amazing images in it too. But we've got more in here about um, the Second War and the Black Temple, uh, the breaking of Draenor. That's where it ends kind of as abruptly is the breaking of Draenor. And that's on page 195. So I'm thinking that we probably aren't going to see, I think we're gonna get a volume three of this. It doesn't feel like if, you know, if it I don't, compares in size to the previous one, then yeah. There is, there is no way, no way that they'd be able to fit the third war into 10 to 15 pages there just isn't there's so much happening with the third war because you've got the rise of the lich king you've got the return of archimond you've got the you've got thrall and the actual formation of the horde you've got i mean there's so much going on that that could almost be its own volume all by itself and it may very well be we don't know but the likelihood just judging from this preview the likelihood of us having a third volume seems to be pretty high um wouldn't be surprised if we did uh that's a-okay with me because keep them coming out keep buying them this picture at the end here um the gruel versus deathwing picture yes is fascinating for a couple of reasons one is that deathwing does not have plates nope which is interesting because he should unless he's been shedding them well yeah and he might have been you know he might have actually gotten to a point where he was like regenerating a little bit but more maybe they were just down his side and not really on his face as of yet he looks like he might have him on his claw, so that's interesting. Yeah. But what gets me is it, now that we know that, you know, Gruul is essentially a descendant of Grond. Yeah. And thus of Agrimar created him. That's a Titan creation fighting a Titan creation. It's weird. Yeah, because Notharian is, <laughs> you know, he's an aspect. Yeah. You know, he, he was directly invested in power by Norganon himself. Was it Norganon or Golgonath? I forget which one gave him his power. Uh, Golgonath, uh, yeah. Golgonath. Yeah. So when you're looking at Titan creation, fighting Titan creation, it's a it's a great picture by the way. It's another really good one. I yeah, there are so many really good images in this. So yeah, 15 page preview. The book itself it comes out soon. Um, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap us up though because we are kind of running out of time here. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And of course, you know, we were talking this whole episode we're talking about chronicle number two um that one is due out on march 14th and we're really looking forward to it if you haven't pre-ordered your copy just yet you can get yours and you can also support the show by heading to blizzardwatch.com slash chronicle two that's chronicle and the number two and putting in a pre-order through that link volume two 
it's not just the history of Draenor. Obviously, we're also getting the first and second wars in the bargain. And it includes so much more art from Peter Lee, just like in the first one, but also Alex Horley, Joseph LaCroix, and others. Um, we'll be talking about this pretty much the second that it hits our doorstep. So you might want to pick it up. And yeah, like I said, that link, if you want to go ahead and pre-order it, it's blizzardwatch.com slash chronicle2. You guys... We got kind of a little taste of what's going on in Chronicle 2 here. So my question is, what else that we haven't seen yet in this preview do you want to see in the book? Rossi? Oh, man. Uh, I want to know, like, I, I, there's, like, lots of little stuff. Like, for instance, what the heck happened to Cult of Ross? Like, do we get do we get to see any more about them, where Ooh, they ended up, anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I wonder if we're going to hear anything about that. Or even just, you know... Where what they were doing, you know, like we know that Kalteras is important in the first and second war, but the second war especially, they're the one first ones to fight dragons. Um, so the, I want to see more about that. If we're if we're not going to get the third war in this book, then I want to see the roots of it in like the after, because the the period after the second war, and obviously they go from the second war to the dark portal, like beyond the dark portal, the destruction of Draenor. Yeah. So that period of time. What was going on on Azeroth at that time? Stormwind is getting rebuilt at that time. What's going on with that? Stuff like that I want to see. And Joe? I'm going to go with I want more Age One stuff. And the only reason I say that is because she's very clearly more involved than I think we've ever, like, we've known she's been involved and important. But especially at this point in Legion, like, the stuff she knows, the stuff she's been through is so much more important now to what's currently happening with, with the events in game. We do and see some of it in the preview. She we doesn't. do. As I was going to say, like I was going to say in the preview, there's a little snippets about that. I'm hoping there's more. Where she confronts Medivh because she, she of all people can sense what Medivh did when he opened the dark portal and she shows up and goes, okay, kid, what's going on? Something bad. And um, that that also revealed an interesting thing about Nightbane Arcanagos, that mm-hmm. Arcanagos was was Aguin's yep. ally. Yep. That's interesting. So I think for myself, um, obviously, there were some sections in here about Draenor and the Evergrowth. And I was really excited about that. But I want to see Arakoa history, please. I hope that there's a section in there, a section or two about Arakoa history. I think um, it's fascinating that Arakoa history seems to be directly tied to the Ogre Empire. Exactly. Uh, there's a lot going on with that. And since the ogres discovered the whole Curse of Seath thing, and they also mentioned what the Arakoa called the planet, I'm hoping that those are indicators that, yeah, there's going to be a section on Arakoa, and we'll learn more about them and their history, and maybe even like where they came from, how they evolved. Uh, I really dig the Arakoa. So any more information we get about them, I'm excited about. Anyway, thank you guys very much for listening. If you have any questions for the show, please feel free to Email those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know which show it's intended for. You can ask us about any of the stuff that we've talked about today. We won't be able to talk too much about what's coming up in Chronicle because we don't have it yet, obviously, not coming out until next month. But hey, we'll take your questions and we will answer them anyway. Thanks again for listening, you guys, and we will see you in two weeks. 